0: Welcome to Could Be Pretty Cool News, the podcast where we dive into the exciting world of creative entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Casey, and together we'll embark on a journey to explore this dynamic ecosystem from multiple angles, including academia, research and data, community building, and compelling personal narratives from creative entrepreneurs themselves. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and empowered as we uncover the stories and strategies behind building successful creative ventures. It's time to discover why the world of creative entrepreneurship could be pretty cool. Did you know that according to Goldman Sachs, the creator economy could approach half a trillion dollars by 2027. But what does it take to thrive in this enticing but competitive landscape? How do creatives transform their vision into viable ventures? And what role does innovation play in sustaining the pulse of the creative economy? That could be pretty cool. We believe that creative entrepreneurship is the heartbeat of innovation. Analyzing opportunities in this field allows us to identify emerging trends, unmet needs and novel solutions. By doing so, we become catalysts for progress and change. The creative economy is a powerhouse and by analyzing opportunities within creative entrepreneurship, We hope to contribute to economic growth, foster job creation, stimulate local industries, and promote cultural richness, all of which benefit our communities. And to kickstart our inaugural episode, we've connected with the experts at the Strategic National Arts Alumni Project to dive deep into their distinctive data collection efforts, which are focused on graduates from art schools All over the country.
1: So, thank you so much, Leanne, for being with us today. As we are getting started, I would love for you to just talk a little bit about your background and how you got into the work that you do.
2: Great. Thanks for having me. My name is Leanne Scotto-Adams, and I'm the current Executive Director of the Strategic National Arts Alumni Project. And our acronym is SNAP and it's a national research organization that collects and analyzes data from arts graduates across the United States. I'm an arts alumni, practicing artist, and an arts administrator. I hold a BFA from the Rhode Island School of Design and a master's from Northeastern University in nonprofit management and organizational communications. I have over 15 years of leadership work in the arts, and prior to joining SNAP, I served as the executive director of another higher ed, a nonprofit organization called AAAE. It's the Association of Arts Administration Educators and a national um, membership organization that represents the graduate and undergraduate arts administration programs. And before that, I was with ACAD, the Association of Independent Colleges of Art and Design, which was a, another nonprofit higher ed consortiums um, representing the specialized art and design schools of the United States and Canada. So my experience as an arts administrator runs pretty deep.
1: Well, yes, you have such an extensive background. And speaking of SNAP data and SNAP and all the things that they do, could you tell us a little bit more about the mission of SNAP and how it has evolved throughout the years? And even with your involvement, how has it evolved since you became a part of it?
2: Sure. Our mission is to collect, analyze, and share data and research about the careers and creative lives of arts graduates we have a dual role or a dual purpose in the field first we provide institutional level alumni data back to colleges and universities about their arts alumni and also we serve data to the field and we are the best source of national survey data on post secondary arts education and we inform a variety of stakeholders, including policymakers, administrators, scholars, journalists, arts advocates. And when I say arts, we define arts in a very broad sense. So we include architecture, film, music, theater, dance, creative writing, all of the above, not just visual arts. When you think of the arts, I think most people think of visual arts or fine arts. The Snapdata really provides the first sort of national profile of how artists educationally and professionally prepare in the United States and and allows for a deepened understanding of what really constitutes artistic success. It's not just a, a financial measure or return on investment. What really is the sort of comprehensive picture of what is artistic success. I know I'm going on, but I just to give you a little bit of context, so SNAP collects data through a national online survey. And the first survey was launched in 2008, and it was developed really because of the need of art schools and programs um, for reliable alumni outcomes data. There just wasn't a source for that data. And since then, over almost a decade and a half, we've partnered with over 400 educational institutions to survey uh, over 300,000 arts alumni on their professional lives, their educational experiences, and their personal fulfillment. Um, We administer these large-scale surveys once every five years. The most recent survey was launched last year, and the survey included a couple of different updates that were timely such as more questions aimed to understand alumni sense of belonging at their educational institution. And then also we expanded to attempt to measure the impact of COVID-19 on the lives and careers of arts alumni. These updates not only provide timely insight into current conditions impacting creative workers, but they also significantly enhance the uh, sort of larger representativeness of the SNAP national data. Uh, and the the ability to draw broader conclusions from it.
1: That's really interesting. I love how you said that there have been many studies, national studies, regional studies, that are focused on the economic impact of the arts. Mm -hmm. How much do restaurants make when people go to the theater? What are people spending in cities when they engage in arts-related activities? And so I like how you are looking at a more holistic picture of an arts career and so on that point i'm curious to know you mentioned an artist's uh, sense of belonging to their their former educational home their sense of well-being what other types of information do you all find the most valuable in assessing the impact of arts education
2: it really depends on who's asking college president would have a different information need than let's say a prospective arts student. Let's say it would be different than the need of a, an arts advocate. I think maybe for the purpose of this podcast, what might be most interesting would be some of the employment statistics and I know those are sometimes the of greatest importance to parents and prospective students. So I'll give you some of the most recent outcomes data from the 2022 survey. And I'll start by saying um, we are right on the edge of publishing data from the 2022 survey but to give you a sneak peek at some of this data 80 percent of arts alumni are currently working and of those half are currently still working in an arts or design occupation which i think is a pretty staggering figure Arts alumni are employed at the same rate as all US college graduates. Among 20 to 29 year olds who received a bachelor's degree in 2022, 76.4% were employed, and that's from the US Bureau of Labor Statistics. So you can see we're right right there with the uh, current United States statistics. 71% of arts alumni who responded to the survey believe their degree in arts design or related management field was uh, important to advancing their career in arts or design. So really seeing that link between high quality uh, career advisement and arts education to being able to advance your career in the arts. It's very important for SNAP to continually refute the myth of the starving artist. I think that's top of mind when you hear arts graduates. The average personal income for arts alumni in 2022, for those who responded to that last survey, was between 60000 and 70000 annually, and that's consistent with the average personal income in the United States in 2022, which is around 65000 Oh it's not just about the money. I know a, a few moments ago we talked about looking at more of a holistic picture of success and what defines success and it's really not just about the paycheck. It's also about job satisfaction and the opportunity to be creative in one's work. And as you mentioned, most studies focus solely on income and that's not so with SNAP. Working in the arts is positively related to the opportunity to be creative and one of the highest aspects of job satisfaction among Arts alumni is really the degree of independence they feel within their current work situation. 77% of arts alumni who responded again to the survey are self-employed or have been self-employed in the past. It's really an entrepreneurial spirit that uh, most arts alumni have. And 66% believe it was important for them to receive business, financial, or entrepreneurial skills to perform effectively in their current work.
1: That's so interesting. First of all, thank you for, for dropping the the sneak peek of the, yeah. the 2022 SNAP survey right here on oh, Could Be Pretty Cool News. I personally connect with the data about artists being self-employed, 77% entrepreneurship, was not something that I intended to go into after graduating school at all. So what would you say are some of the biggest opportunities for students now who want to go into art or design careers? And then on the flip side, just being realistic, what are some of the challenges that you see as well?
2: I'm gonna flip that. I'm gonna start talking about the challenges and then I'll talk about some of the opportunities. So we leave this question on a high note. I would say for arts alumni, student loan debt is uh, top of mind and ongoing challenge as the recent uh, SCOTUS rulings to strike down President Biden's student loan forgiveness program will really impact graduates of arts programs most acutely and even more so for borrowers of color. There is really an essential need for SNAP to be actively surveying the field and collecting and analyzing data and generating fully contextualized responses that can be widely shared with the field and also utilized for advocacy. Um, Also, another challenge for uh, prospective future arts alumni is um, policy impacting higher ed. Um, It's especially challenging right now for post-secondary arts colleges and programs and Also, prospective art students who may see their educational options dwindle. The Department of Education is actively reviewing all Title IV education lending policies. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Title IV status is most important for students who need financial aid and who can't afford to pay for college out-of-pocket. And when a school has Title IV status, they're allowed to distribute federal student loans, work-study, federal grants like the federal Pell Grant, So much of this lending makes going to college possible for so many, and the Department of Ed may restrict or eliminate an institution's ability to offer federal financial aid for certain majors based solely on measures of ROI, return on investment, meaning that certain programs could be eliminated if alumni don't meet a certain earnings threshold. So this would have profound impact in visual and performing arts education across the nation as We all know science and engineering majors and business majors tend to make more money than uh, anything in the humanities, especially in the arts field. Our extensive data collection on graduates of arts and design programs across a comprehensive range range of measures, not just economic ROI, provide a corrective overview of those kind of unidimensional evaluations and really presents more of a nuanced understanding of the value of an arts education some of the opportunities embrace that entrepreneurial spirit (laughs) so many arts and design alumni leave college whether or not they feel equipped with the right training uh, to pursue uh, starting a business of their own and, and working for themselves in following, this path tends to bring professional fulfillment and satisfaction. It's interesting that 76% of arts alumni, and I'm quoting data from the 2017 survey here, say that they continue to practice their art outside of their professional work. So it's something that really drives them and brings them fulfillment outside of any professional capacity.
1: In learning that you are deploy this survey every five years, I'm so curious to see what the landscape is going to look like five years from now. Like, with the creator economy growing in the way that it is, with whether for good or for bad, generative AI getting into the mix, with more people finding monetization opportunities through their creative work. I'm looking forward to 22. I'm going to not jump the gun, but I really am like, wow. Wow we need to stay on top of this data. And it's good that there's an organization that's doing
2: that. There are so many changes happening in real time. And I think one of the ways SNAP has adapted to changes in the landscapes of the field of arts education, but also the broader arts sector. The last survey asked alumni respondents if they'd be open to direct contact from SNAP in the future about participating in research that seeks to better understand their lives. And cl- close to 40,000 alumni respondents said, yes, feel free to contact us. We'd love to participate in future studies. So this kind of puts SNAP in a unique position to be able to build and operate a, a panel of arts alumni. And these alumni would be able to answer timely questions from the field, of which there are so many right now, especially in light of student loan debt and policy negatively impacting higher ed. This panel will allow for direct connections to this population of creative workers and also provide an opportunity to be able to text them. So one of the limitations with the large-scale SNAP surveys is that we have to send an email invitation to arts alumni and just general email fatigue um, kills us all. I think half of our email invitations end up in spam. Um, we send over a million invitations. So, being able to text alumni these timely questions will be really beneficial to the field. Think about if we had this information, this data to be able, and we were able to text alumni at the start of the pandemic, we could have sent a text to all arts alumni. <laughs> How is this impacting your career? What resources do you need right now to be able to persist? So, just the opportunities for the
0: field are huge. Personal narratives provide authentic insights into the creative entrepreneurship journey. By listening to creators in the field, we gain a profound understanding of their challenges, triumphs, and the paths they forged. These real life stories are invaluable for learning, and growth. Hearing how others have overcome challenges and achieved their creative dreams can ignite a spark within aspiring entrepreneurs. It's a reminder that possibilities are endless and success is achievable. To that end, we had the pleasure of sitting down with B. Sonnenreich, who shared her inspiring story of how her passion for film ignited the spark to establish a thriving community for local filmmakers to showcase their talents and shine.
3: Hi, I'm B. Sunnenreich. I am the founder and executive director of ATL Film Party, a local film competition in Atlanta. And I am the events and education director of Moonshine Post Production, also in Atlanta. So I was slinging ice cream in Nashville, Tennessee. In about 2014, I had just graduated from Florida State University and was having a quick stint in Nashville to just have fun and listen to live music and work in the food service industry. And my dad called me up and he was like, you're publishing zines and you're slinging ice cream and I need you to get serious, what are you gonna do? And I was like, I think I can go to grad school And he was like, go to grad school. Please go to grad school. So I got into grad school at Georgia State University in the Moving Image Studies program. I got a research assistantship and a teaching assistantship, so they waived my tuition. And I started my graduate studies, and it was so stressful. I was just, like, stressed as hell. I probably read, like, three theory books a week. And let's see. So I started focusing in on horror and Jewish studies and black aesthetics and trying to meld something together through all of these courses that I was taking. I was working on editorial for Liquid Blackness, which is a black aesthetics journal that's now run by Duke University, but used to be housed by Georgia State. And it was really... Interesting, interesting, but it was also really depressing. And I took a break from grad school. I got very very depressed. And I, in that period, I was like trying to write my thesis. I was working on film sets as a PA and recuperating and started working in the service industry as a barista. And so I'm like working all these different jobs and trying to get my brain right and finally got to a place where I felt comfortable with my mental health and got back to grad school. And when I graduated, I started working in journalism in a B2B magazine called Oz Magazine and worked my way up to managing editor and then my way up to editor-in-chief and was doing Pretty amazing things there. I was getting HBO, Lovecraft Country covers, and Netflix covers, all these cool covers. And I soon experienced, like all of us experienced, this thing called a global pandemic. And started re-evaluating what I wanted to do with my career in that period. I was like, do I want to get into an MSW program, a social work program, where I'm working with people with mental health, or... Do I want to get into marketing and communications where I am still film adjacent? So yeah, so I was wondering if I wanted to do either social work or or marketing and communications where I could stay film adjacent. And I ended up applying for the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival as a marketing manager and was onboarded in October 2021. And worked there for two years and three months. It was a really lovely journey where I got to do community relations and marketing for the biggest Jewish film festival in the country, but also the biggest film festival in Georgia. I just put in my two weeks to start working at Moonshine Post as an events and education director. So I started ATL Film Party in April of 2021. ATL Film Party is a free local Atlanta film competition and industry networking event with a goal of transforming ATL's film industry into a real-ass community that is accessible to all. I was working at Oz Magazine at the time, and I kept having filmmakers come to me and tell me that they were blowing their budget on film festivals. And then they would go to these film festivals and they would feel super underappreciated because they would have to pay for housing or they'd have to... Um, they they just didn't get the chalk and marbles, as I say, right? Unless you're, like, a feature filmmaker with, like, a fancy last name and a bunch of money behind you, you're not really getting as much pull at these festivals and these were like atlanta filmmakers people that i know and care about and i wanted to see a change and i was like what if i like started a film competition for the community so i put out a call in april 2021 for two-minute experimental shorts and i was friends with someone who had a house and i asked if we could do a house party and one of the rooms was completely empty and white so we had the house party it was free to submit free to attend i hand selected in like a jury of industry professionals to select the finalists i don't touch anything in atl Film party except for the bank account and the relationships with the sponsors and the venues but these jurists selected several finalists and we played all of the films on loop. We threw it up on the wall. I bought $120 worth of alcohol and seltzer and sold it pretty cheap, but I collected all of the money and the filmmakers, Alamo, Para, and Colby Inez, they were given the pot when they won the most votes. So this is how it works. The attendees all get an individual ballot. You come in, you watch the films, you vote for your favorite film and you party. And I announce the winner at the end of the night after counting the votes and give them whatever was in the pot at the time. That was how the first season worked. And it started growing. It was like 44 people the first time and then it was like 85 people the next time and then it was 132 people the next time and then it was 238 people the next time and I was like, this is too big. And, And it's honestly busting my ass and every time I'm preparing for it, I'm like how am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And then I have the party and it's, it's interesting when you give appreciation to someone, it comes right back to you. So I get reinvigorated every time because I'm like giving these like gift bags to these filmmakers and like personalized notes to every finalist. And they're like, they just, I just receive all their gratitude and it is a life force. So you have to find something that works well in tandem with your entrepreneurial goals and ventures but you have to have a little bit of faith because it is like when i say that this is a dream turned reality like i i cap the party at 250 now and it sells out every time and people are excited for it and it's a community building event where everyone's gathering and they want each other on their crews and they want to give each other jobs and they want to uplift each other. If you have the energy that you are doing something positive, people feel that authenticity. And I think part of doing something positive is taking care of yourself. And if you solve the problem and do it well and with integrity, then go for it.
0: As we conclude our first episode, we want to extend our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you for joining us and to our two amazing guests. It's been an absolute pleasure diving into the world of creative entrepreneurship with you. Until the next time, we encourage you to continue nurturing your process. Farewell, and may all of your creative endeavors flourish. Could Be Pretty Cool News is a Could Be Pretty Cool original production that was workshopped as a part of the 2023 Google News Initiative pre-launch lab. Our executive producer and host is Casey Willis, and our production coordinator is Liz Moore. The original theme music was composed by Camille Stennis, and our cover art was designed by Aaliyah Johnson. Special thanks to our guests, Lee Ann Scotto-Adams and B Sonnenreich. To find out more about them, please visit our newsletter at
2: couldbeprettycoolnews.substack.com. Thank you for listening.